0: This is Democracy, a podcast that explores the interracial, intergenerational, and intersectional unheard voices living in the world's
1: most influential democracy. Welcome to our new episode of This is Democracy. This week, we're going to talk about presidential primaries. Uh, How did this system of nominating, selecting, and uh, promoting presidential candidates, how did it come into existence? It is a particularly American form of politics and democracy. Why do we do this? Uh, How has the system evolved over time? And where can we go in the future uh, to reform or replace this system? Uh, We have with us our good friend and uh, expert on all things political, uh, Paul Steckler. How are you doing? Uh, Paul, as uh, all of you know, is the uh, Walford Denius Chair in Entertainment Studies. He's a nationally recognized uh, documentary filmmaker who has uh, made some of the most important uh, documentaries on major figures in our history, from George Wallace to Ann Richards uh, and many, many others. He's also a beloved professor and commentator on politics. And as we were talking before, uh, he's still not quite at the age where he can run for president. You need to you need to cross 70 in a few more years, Paul. I'll Lane. be there soon. <laughs> <laughs> One more river to cross. One more river to cross <laughs> to Jordan. Uh, before we get to our discussion with Paul, we have of course our scene setting poem with zachary siri uh zachary what's the title of your poem later later let's hear it now
2: (laughs) later how does a battle of generations a forced reckoning with our future end with two men born over half a century before an iphone ever fell out of heaven or flew up from below before a black man was ever cheered in the cold wind of grant park on a tuesday in november How does such a large liberal cleavage break apart into a thousand pieces of rubble, shaping 500 candidates from 500 states with a thousand predictions for our future? How did a sleepy beginning at the start of summer, with the floods beginning to slip in through the cracks, solve health care, address inequality, and put Donald's tiny hands in the raging fire of scorned truth? I don't mean to be a cynic questioning the bonds of modern American republicanism, don't mean to charge the party supposedly to solve racism with racism. Don't mean to blame two old white men for winning, but it seems a little odd for a race that flew down endless polygraphs of electability, numerous tornadoes of finger-pointings, an array of minute investigations of past mistakes made. It seems a little bit of a strange finish, this untriumphant beginning to hoped-for triumph. How does a battle of generations end with a candidate list two or three generations old, the youngest candidate from seven decades of age politics, the 38-year-old former candidate who could wade through the mud again in 20 years and still be younger? How does a large liberal cleavage end up with America's youth standing near the edge and staring down the ravine, having to choose between this barely present cliff or that one hanging off the left side? How did a sleepy beginning at the start of summer fall into this spring of eternal disappointment, Warm into these two lukewarm pots of gas station coffee, burn off into the blank stairs and filler words. Once more we were told to wait patiently. Once more we were left with a gut feeling of uncertainty. Once more we will show up, if not for now, then to ensure there is a later.
1: Mm. Lots of references in there, Zachary. What yeah. is your poem about?
2: My poem is really about um, how disappointing it it is for for much of the American electorate, particularly young people, that the two main uh, candidates uh, for the Democratic Party are are in the highest uh, risk group for the coronavirus. (laughs) (laughs) Because they're
1: 70-year-olds.
2: Yeah, exactly, and it's really about um, how we really need to think more deeply about how we choose nominees for for the major parties in America.
1: And so you're not satisfied with this
2: process? I'm not satisfied, no.
1: Well, this is a good place to turn to Paul and to start with a little history. Paul, how did we get this system? Uh, primaries begin in the early twentieth century, right? As an effort to give uh, members of the party who are not the elites more say, is that correct?
0: You know, I think. Um, yeah, I'm wondering if this is uh, a progressive uh, impulse that sort of comes out of uh, the Republican demo- uh, debacle of uh, of 1912. Yes, a, a you know, lot with it. an unpopular president William Taft and a very popular former president. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt, and Roosevelt can't get the nomination because right. it's controlled by the Republican Party. Um, and so he runs as a bull moose third-party person. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, if he'd been the Republican nominee, he would have beaten Woodrow Wilson.
1: Easily, was, easily, in you know, fact. He was yeah. the most
0: popular politician in the United States. You know, so it was a move to democratize the process. Now, remember that, you know, it democratized the process a little bit. You know, it didn't really have much of an impact on, on nominations. You know, it was mostly still... You know, closed door. You know, uh, bosses, and I don't mean bosses pejoratively. It's just right. you know, people that ran the parties in different places were able to try to figure out who their strongest candidate was. And you know, and quite frankly, there is some wisdom in that. You know, in that from all the mishigosh that we've had in the Republican Party four years ago, and the Democratic Party this year, there is something to say that people that actually know something about politics can figure out who the strongest candidate is. And remember that party loyalists care about winning. They're not caring about ideology so much or for specific issues. They um, they know that politics is about addition, not subtraction. You know, in addition a lot of times is compromise. Yes. And it produces better candidates. Now, do the primaries have an impact? I think they began to have an impact in the 50s, specifically in 56 when um, uh, there were – Some choices for the vice president to run for Adlai Stevenson was a Kefauver versus, uh, oh gosh, was Kefauver Stevenson's vice presidential pick? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know John F. Kennedy, you know, might or might not get that. Right. That was the that was the debate actually. That you know, but but the big deal was uh, was Kennedy beating uh, Humphrey in the uh, Wisconsin primary Mm -hmm. and the West Virginia primaries in nineteen sixty. Right. You know, could a Catholic? I mean, you talk about how the politics of the country has changed. Forget. an African American as president, which is you know, you know, completely crazy from the politics of back then. But back then, you know, wow, could a Catholic get an elected president because right. he would owe his allegiance to the Pope? Um, you know, so that's your first big step. Um, in 1968, you know, there's a lot of anti-war uh, sentiment in the Democratic Party with two anti-war candidates, McCarthy and McGovern, and you know, and clearly Robert Kennedy too before he's assassinated. Uh, but they nominate Hubert Humphrey, who's mm-hmm. not exactly the devil incarnate, right? Uh, you know, but a lot of people in the party go, "This was not fair." Well, he
1: he did not win a single primary. I'm not know. even sure he even entered any right. primaries, right? So this this really blows things up in a certain way.
0: I mean. uh, well, you know, as in all things, when a party loses, a lot of times the pieces are are picked up by other parts of the party, and so leading up to 1972, I believe George McGovern led the reform efforts yes. to reform their party process, and all of a sudden, you know, winning the primaries <clears throat> was the, uh, the clear way to win delegates to be nominated. And so McGovern is, is, is nominated. By the way, guess who came in second in the total vote in 1972 among Democrats? George Wallace. Right. Okay. And um, he would have done even better if he hadn't been shot in Maryland. And that day, he won the Maryland and Michigan primaries. Uh, you know, on an anti-busing. Right. And, and this is all in platform. your
1: documentary, for those who have That's true. Seen George
0: Wallace in the Woods on Fire, a fine film. Um, you know, after McGovern gets creamed, uh, because as much as he was a lovely person, I, I very fondly remember a dinner I had with him in New Orleans years later. You know, when you meet people, you know, people that you looked up to, when they actually turn out to be great people. and He was just, he was so sweet. That hasn't happened to me yet. No, yeah. Yeah, I remember <laughs> wandering around the French Quarter, we wandered into a jazz bar, you know, and all the musicians wanted to meet him. No, it was just he. You, you know, got
1: McGovern drunk, didn't you? No,
0: he was not drunk. He was not a big drinker, <laughs> at least with, with me. You know, but after that, you know, the party kind of, you know, well, actually, they didn't retool because Jimmy Carter came out of nowhere winning primaries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and remember, his big deal was that he was able to slay the George Wallace dragon right. in Florida, uh, but, but nobody took him seriously as a candidate. And after he did that, he was able to roll through. So, you know, it, it's, 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 you know, it's hard for me to you know to say that this is a bad or a good product. Uh, Donald Trump was not exactly what you would expect to come out of the uh, two thousand and sixteen right. primary, unless you were thinking about it really strongly. He had a strong base, you know, and clearly a lot of those people, the, dem- the governors and senators, were kind of Lilliputians in terms of
1: candidacies. They were terrible right. candidates, and they also knocked each other out, which was part yeah. of the issue as well, right? Yeah,
0: but then just none of them were very good. Okay, right. it's it's you know there there are certain people that are good. Okay, Barack Obama was a great candidate. Now we tend to forget that in 2008 in a fair fight he might have lost to Hillary Clinton. What happens there is that Hillary Clinton spends all her money early and she runs out of money and Obama is able to organize all those caucus states. Right. So essentially they fight fairly evenly in the primaries. You know, tend to people tend to forget that uh, she won Texas and and Ohio the same night.
1: That's right
0: but essentially he was fighting by himself in the caucus state so when you have a close fight in a primary you get uh, 10 votes I get 8 votes you know but if you're in a caucus and you sweep you get 20 votes and you right. get a bigger margin in Idaho right. you know or Wyoming than you actually get in Ohio right. or Michigan right so he played the game better it's kind of like and again this is not to take take anybody you know, uh, to be, you know, think badly about them. It's kind of like when you play baseball, learn how to play baseball. If you're a good football player, you're not going to win at baseball. Right. You know, so you've got to know the rules. You've got to be
1: able to play the game. But one of the things that's happened in terms of the rules or the way the game is played mm-hmm. is we go from a time with the early primaries, as you said so well, around the time of Theodore Roosevelt in 1912. Mm-hmm. I think the first primaries in 1901 and 1905 in Florida and Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. But we go through that period to World War II. The primaries really aren't that that important. Right. Then after World War II, they're important as signaling to the bosses. Whether a, can, a Catholic can win, or whether someone else can sure. win, but after '68 with the McGovern reforms, the primaries and the caucuses actually become the determining sure. determining elements for yeah. who is going to be the nominee, and that's a sea change from where we are before that period. Now it does. It, it seems like the party bosses struggle to have any influence at all over this process. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, and I think that, that I'm not sure that's good. It's kind of like you know, again, people that are political pros are not idiots. You know, they're not. They're not totally negative. They're not like. You know, like stealing uh, stealing our, uh, you know, things, that, you know, it's, it's not like, you know, with Bernie going the establishment. Right. You know, the corporate Democrats. Well, he okay? would
1: argue, so this is interesting. He would argue, though, that the establishment still has too much control over the party.
0: Well, I would argue he's not even a Democrat. You know, it's kind of, that's part of his problem. You know, you scream and yell about the party long enough, and then when you're one-on-one with Joe Biden, who is not Hillary Clinton, right. Hillary Clinton was really disliked by a lot of people. Nobody dislikes Joe Biden. He might not think he's competent. You might not, you know, you might think he's too conservative, whatever that means. Right. You know, it's not as if, like, he's he's a hell of a lot different than Bernie in Bernie in voting record in the Senate. Right. Okay, but nobody dislikes him. Right. Okay, and if nobody dislikes him and you're depending on the party apparatus and you're not even a Democrat, what do you expect to happen? I mean, I, it's hard for me to feel that sorry for Bernie. This was kind of like, you know, this could be completely different. You know, by the time this comes out, Michigan will be done. You know, I'd be very surprised if if biden doesn't win in a landslide in michigan you know and essentially then you know the cards are written you know and in florida now that bernie has made fidel castro his his running mate you know he's unelectable in florida so you know he's going to get killed in georgia right you know he's just not going to get a whole lot of the african-american vote and i like the idea of mobilizing the youth vote the problem is it never happens it never happens zachary
2: well I, i think what's particularly interesting about what you're saying is that uh is that our urge is always to democratize the process when really we maybe should be thinking about about how we can how we can pick the best candidates but how do we also make sure that uh beyond just making sure that the party wins that we get the best president from this process
0: but you know does the uh, beauty is on the in the eye of the beholder who is the best president you know hl mencken said the only cure for democracy is more democracy I'm not sure that he's right Mm -hmm. now that he's in his grave. It's kind Mm -hmm. of, you know, who makes the choice, you or me? Right. You know, and I think that a lot of times, well, you know, again, who makes the choice? You know, I'm going to think differently than you do. Right. You know, and um, I I I, I think if you don't win, okay, if you don't win, then you've lost, okay, and—
1: By definition, yes. Yeah, and
0: and, you know, and you're kind of like, you know, sometimes, you know, Goldwater gets killed— in 1964 and it leads to a revolution in the Republican party right. and we end up with Reagan 16 right. years later. Okay, the Republican party completely changes to a certain extent after McGovern's you know, defeat in the landslide to Nixon in 1972. The Democrats become a much more liberal party and then when there's the landslide reaction to Nixon in 1974 all of a sudden you have a gigantic, you know, liberal wave into Congress, you know, not quite as much as 1964, You know, with the Johnson landslide, but it leads to a lot of legislation. There's consequences in terms of who wins and who loses. And if you lose, you know, especially in a time when, like, having 51 votes in the Senate means I can put anybody I want on the courts. Yep. Okay, then you really lost.
1: Yeah, right. So one of the things that, as political scientists and historians, we study are not simply the ways in which people vote, but also the ways in which the process structures the choices you have, right? Mm -hmm. What are the choices determined for you? And uh, part of the issue with primaries and caucuses is not simply whether the establishment gets to choose or whether the voters get to choose, it's the order and the way in which the issues are presented to us. And we have a question about that Mm -hmm. from uh, David Wu. Uh, Let's hear David's question.
2: Why do certain states get the privilege of holding the first caucuses and primaries? And if precedent is the only reason, why doesn't the federal government set up a rotating basis or create a more fair system?
0: Well, the federal government is not in charge. The p- political parties are in charge. Right. You know.
1: So this is not a federal decision. This is a,
0: st- a party decision.
1: And, and why do we have this system, though, where New Hampshire and Iowa and others you know, you get to go early? States that are so unrepresentative of the country.
0: I think it's just precedent. You know. And remember, back you know, thirty years ago, they weren't quite as unrepresentative. You know, it's kind of like you know, going to New Hampshire was kind of a cute thing. Everybody, I don't know if you've ever been up in New Hampshire <laughs> sure, sure. during this thing. You it's bump a cute in, place. Well, but you bump into candidates around the corner yeah. all over the place. You know, uh, Robert Altman did that, you know, sort of dated series Tanner eighty eight. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, where he has a a, a a fake candidate running around campaigning. He's bumping into everybody running for president. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, so it's uh, it's, it's either eighty eight or eighty four, but it's um. You know, it's just just precedence. You know, now I think with the debacle of Iowa, you know, good luck. I think Iowa's gone. And I think with so many people being pissed off, you know, with, you know, the the process of New Hampshire not being, uh, you know, representative of the entire country. But you know something? You fix one problem, you get another problem. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Is South Carolina more representative? Is Michigan more representative? Well, sometimes. Okay. But, you know, just because you have different demographics— doesn't mean that you're going to get a different result. Right. You
1: know, so good luck. It's kind of like you fix one thing, you, solve, you know, solve one problem, and you create another one. But it's almost like the precedence for certain states going early empower certain groups in selecting who the candidates are over other groups in the in a way in which a smoke-filled room would have empowered certain bosses in a different way.
0: Sure. You know, and a lot of states have moved up. California moved all the way up because it used to be at the very end. Right, right. I remember and that. it can make a decision, you know, if it was that close. You know, but they didn't want to be there, so they were closer up. You know, and now, to have they had a lot more impact? I mean, probably not, even though – is anybody going to remember that Bernie Sanders actually won it? Mm-hmm. You know, he won the early vote, and he got creamed in the later vote. Right. Right. You know, that was one of the – I mean, I've I, you know, been a political junkie for a long time, but the Biden comeback uh-huh. over whatever it was, 72 hours after right. South Carolina –
1: wow yeah how did that happen how did the primary system and they read these were primaries not caucuses how did this benefit biden how did he catch that wave
0: i think basically people were scared of a bernie sanders uh a race i think across the country sorry bernie supporters they took a look at bernie at the top of the ticket and what they saw was republican landslide Mm -hmm. okay here in texas you know i find me somebody running you know, in a flippable seat or a seat that's actually competitive, who actually had endorsed Bernie Sanders. There's a reason why they didn't. Right. Okay. Because they thought, rightly or wrongly, they were going to lose with him on the ticket. You know, they've been fighting this whole thing about your socialists, you know, and all of a sudden you have a socialist at the top of the ticket. Mm-hmm. So, number one, fear. You know, number two, I think a lot of the candidates that were running out of money, you know, actually did the Mensch thing. You know, essentially they said, you know, something, Amy Klobuchar. You know, I now understand I'm not going to win. Same thing with Buttigieg, you know, and essentially they pulled out and they said, you know, what's and none of them wanted Bernie as the as the top of the ticket. And so they endorsed. And I think, you know, for the first time I've ever seen, you had this gigantic wave of people making a decision based on the same premise, the premise beating who can stop Bernie Sanders? Right. Wow, coming back from the dead—it's you know it's Uncle Joe. <laughs> you know it's kind of amazing now.
1: Not not that Uncle Joe, different Uncle Joe.
0: No 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 not, d- not d- Stalin. No, no, Stalin <laughs>
1: Stalin, who will be on the ticket? You know if Fidel can't make it. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, Paul, this is the least cynical I've ever heard you. So you 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 think this was actually a, a case where the primary system encouraged uh, Klobuchar and Buttigieg and others to think about the party and the interests of the country?
0: Yeah, I guess so. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you, you don't always have um, something so obvious in terms of a rational choice. You know, those of us that have heard about rational choice theory, you know, and again, I don't want to dump on, on Senator Sanders, you know, but this is not a big surprise. Now, again, this may, some miracle may happen tonight, you know, but he fought Hillary Clinton in a close race four years ago, but Hillary Clinton was really disliked by a lot of people rightly or wrongly mm-hmm. and i think this was the canary in the coal mine yes for those trying to figure out what was going to happen in november yes yes you know a lot of us looked at the clinton campaign and said a campaign that can't figure out its own slogan yep, is actually agree with you. you know marketing fifty different slogans yep. to figure out which one it is. Yep. Yep. Okay, make America Great Again may sound dumb to a lot of people. It's a pretty good bumper sticker.
1: Right. Right. So you think in this case that the the system, and this has always been a debate, has actually helped to choose a winnable candidate. Because that's what the parties want. They want someone who will win, as you said. Not necessarily the best mm-hmm. person, but the person who will win in November.
0: I think it's helped to choose the candidate that I think most people democratic politics think is the strongest candidate. And the I- irony Is we started out with most of them thinking that Biden was the strongest candidate, and we're going to end up with Biden as the strongest candidate. You know, the the, the precedent for this is, uh, is McCain in 2008. Now, of course, this could be a bad precedent because McCain was the strongest. He went down, he came back, he got the nomination, and he got killed in the election. Now, I think this is a different election, you know, and basically. And tell me if I'm wrong about this. When I talk to uh, people that know a lot more than I do, people that have run uh, presidential campaigns, the deal is, is this election about Trump or is this a choice? Okay. If the election is just about President Trump, okay, it's a 40-60 thing against him. Yeah. Okay. And this is not a good... Or 43 to, to right, and he's
1: made no effort to reach out to no. voters who didn't vote for him before as no. a minority president.
0: So he's got to make this into a choice. Okay, now, clearly, he would have rather have run against Bernie Sanders. Yeah. You know, he called Bernie a communist the other night. Right. Okay. He can do different things against Biden, but the problem with him and Biden, again, is that unless you just watch Fox News 24 hours a day, you're into conspiracy theories, or you really think that Burisma... You know, is more important than anything else in the world. It's really hard to dislike Joe Biden. Yeah. Okay. He's one of the best liked people in American politics. You know, especially among his peers. Right. You know, so that, you know, I'm not saying it's it's not impossible. You got 250 million dollars, and you can do all kinds of fake videos, and, you know, and you know, do all sorts of things, but. You know, if this is an election about Donald Trump, Donald Trump has got some some challenges.
1: Yeah. Uh, back to the primaries. Are primaries, in your reading of this, Paul, as, as someone who's followed so many of these so closely, are primaries about policy or are they about likability?
0: I think they're more about likability, you know, and you're always looking for that unicorn, that fabulous candidate. You know, no matter what you think of Bill Clinton... Bill Clinton was a fabulous Absolutely. candidate. Absolutely. Okay. Barack Obama was an amazing candidate. Um, there are not that many of them. Ronald Reagan, you could argue. Was Ronald it? Reagan was heard? a great candidate. You know, for his time within a, a more limited deal, George W. Bush was a pretty good candidate. Yeah. yeah. Now, again, he almost, or maybe he did lose against a pretty terrible candidate, right. you know. Uh, you know Al Gore was very wooden Right. you know he just wasn't a great candidate this is an election he should not have lost
1: what's interesting is all of these figures who turned out to be uh, effective candidates coming out of primaries what the primary did was identify someone who people liked people liked Reagan people sure. liked George W Bush they liked Obama and they liked Clinton I, I mean like in the sense that personally people found them compelling individuals but i think this was known beforehand everybody knew
0: how talented Bill Clinton was yeah. remember he went through the uh, the speech that he gave in the, uh, what was it, 1992 uh, convention? Or no, the 84 on,
1: convention, I think. For no, it wasn't 84. It, it, 88, was in, it was the Dukakis, 88.
0: 88, yeah, and he was horrible.
1: Yeah, he went on for like He a went hour
0: on hours. and on and on. Yeah. And then he made fun of himself. Yeah. You know, that's that's a true test of a good candidate, somebody who can actually make fun of themselves. You know, Barack Obama, everybody was, you know, after after the 2004 convention, he came and he spoke here at the Book Festival in 2006. I'd never seen anybody that good. Really? Um, you know, George W. Bush was an incredibly personable guy. You know, if you want the candidate you're going to have a beer with, you know, even though he doesn't drink, you know, it's not a bad candidate to have with. And you look at the candidates right now and, you know, Donald Trump is, is a very interesting character. You know, those long, crazy rallies are riveting in their, in their surrealness. I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen somebody insult so many candidates. You know, I remember— you know, I remember I think uh, Matthew Dowd was over at my house with a bunch of people during the 2016 primary. And we we're watching the debate where within 30 seconds, Donald Trump calls uh, Rubio little, little Rubio? Yeah, yeah. Little call, Marco. Little Marco. And he calls uh, uh, Cruz lying Ted. I, I looked at him and I go, I don't understand. <laughs> okay. I'd never seen anything like it. Okay. But you know something? If you're going to be a TV star, yeah, You go for it. Now, yeah. the thing about this process is I'm not disappointed that we have 70-year-olds. What I'm disappointed is I'm still looking for that younger candidate who actually deserves to be able to be seen as a great candidate. I'm sorry. All the people that didn't make it this time were not great candidates. They were okay. It wasn't the system? It was,
1: it was no, their deficiencies, not the I, I system? I think
0: it was just you know, the, the, you know, because of luck or draw or whatever, this, none of these people were great candidates. Mm-hmm. You know? some, and, some would say Buttigieg was a great candidate. He was the mayor of a tiny town, you know. Well, just
1: Clinton was the governor of a tiny state.
0: Uh, he's a much better candidate, okay. And you know, he's very young, okay. And this is going to sound terrible, and you know, maybe you're going to kick me off of your podcast. But we don't elect short people as presidents. That's true, okay. Most presidents are like male presidents are like six foot one. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like this is there. There's there's a reason, as horrible as that reason may be, yeah. that we tend to look at different. This is partially why I think women are going to have a tougher time bursting through. But I'm sure this is going to happen in our lifetime. You know, I don't know. It's kind of, you know, I, I'm not I'm not going to go in the record on this. But I saw Stacey Abrams over at the LBJ yeah. School. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. yeah. I, wow. I've never. I, there there are very few people in politics. You may not like her ideology. You may not like her politics. Oh my God, is she an amazing speaker? Yeah. yeah. You know and you know, that's what you're looking for in a candidate, somebody that you don't forget, somebody who is inspiring, who makes you feel something, you know, that makes you feel like they're talking to you, Right. you know, and that's a good candidate. And I think we're stuck with not great candidates. Hmm.
1: We have another student question. Uh, this one is about the way we vote. One of the distinctive features of the American system is not simply that we have these primaries, But that even when the delegates are proportioned out, Mm -hmm. it tends to be a winner-take-all system, which is in the sense that um, you get to vote for one person. You don't get to vote for a second choice or a third choice. Um, And some have argued that if there were ranked choice voting where you got to put Mm -hmm. a a list of preferences, someone like Elizabeth Warren would do well because a lot of people had her as their second or third choice. Let's hear Noah George's question on this.
2: Hi, my name is Noah George. I'm a freshman government major, and my question is, do you think that primaries should utilize rank choice ballots to prevent those participating in early voting in support of suspended campaigns from having their votes wasted?
0: You know, no. Okay. Okay. We, we, you're, asking, you're asking the voter to be very sophisticated and very strategic. You know, and, you know, you pick somebody who drops out, too bad. You yeah. made a bad bet. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like we vote for somebody that we want to win. Okay, I'm not in favor of strategizing, but I'm not in charge of this. You know, maybe the young people will do this and maybe it'll create a better system.
1: But like I said, you're just going to create your own problems. Right, right. It's it's an interesting thing about our system, Paul, right? In that we have a very complicated system in terms of how the primaries and caucuses work and in terms of the electoral college, mm-hmm. but a very simple system in terms of how people vote. Yeah. And you think that's you're comfortable with that?
0: Well, I'm comfortable with the two party system. I think it works better. Look at the Israeli elections. Right. You know, right. Look at the Italian elections. Right. You right. know, proportional representation is is you know is a is a road to madness. Right. You know, and even the British elections that are somewhat multi party, I don't think work quite as well. You know, but um, you know, it's hard to say. You know, as Jeremy Corbyn did a suicide pact with the Labour Party, maybe that skewed things. Right. Um, so. You know, I think the system works the way it works. You know, there are certain truisms. You know, you know maybe Elizabeth Warren was the second most popular candidate. I'll tell you the favor she did for Biden was taking Bloomberg out. Yes, of course. Okay, but the problem is, is that it's a murder suicide pact. Right. Right. You know, it's very much like Christie and Rubio. I was just going to say. You know, in 2016, if you take somebody out, just understand that you're going out there with them.
1: Right. Well, that that's the thing that the dynamic of, of primaries, it does seem to me, is that if you go on the attack, you risk actually taking yourself and the other person out, which, I mean, that seems to be the precedent, right? What you want to do is actually become the most compelling mm-hmm. character, not the most negative character.
0: Unless you're Donald Trump, you know, and maybe, maybe he choose, skewed everything. And if he skewed everything, then none of these solutions are going to work much. Right. You know, right. but there are... There are candidates. I remember. I remember Bill Clinton when he was uh, when he was opposing the um, uh, the uh, or opposing the opposition to the inheritance tax. Okay. You know, and Clinton was able to do things. I mean, I think what he said was, you know, because they were talking about how you're going to lose the family farm. And he goes, I don't think there was anybody who was on a tractor that would be hurt by this bill. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, you know, this is like, this yeah. is what a yeah. good candidate Absolutely. can do. It's what a good communicator Absolutely.
1: can do. Absolutely, so it's like one of my favorite moments is when uh, Franklin Roosevelt calls his Republican opposition the horse and buggy politicians, <laughs> and says, "We're moving into the modern world. We need a modern government, right? right. Part yeah. of it is being able to to make these issues vivid for right. people, right? And 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 your point earlier, I think, is is one worth stressing. The primaries and the caucuses, especially in small small states. Right. They provide local citizens like citizens in New Hampshire yeah. a unique opportunity to actually meet all the candidates. Yeah. And and there is something to that. There is something to that shoe leather politics, right? Yeah. you know hope like in a system like Iowa they can actually figure out how to run an election. Well, that's that's another story. <laughs> Zachary, what do you think? Do you, do, you, do you think there is some merit this this is a far more positive view. This is an unprecedented podcast where Paul Steckler is less cynical than you uh, on the primary system. What do you think? Are you are you persuaded or you still think we need to change this system?
2: I'm persuaded that the system is a in many ways a practical system for, for winning an election as a party. The premise I disagree with is more I think that that at least for for younger people in American society, we think less about party and victory uh for a candidate and more about where we want the country to go and i think the issue is that um in some ways that disregards the realities of politics which are that we need somewhat we need in some ways a a compromise candidate we can't always get what we want but i also think there needs to be a way um as young people who feel this way become the majority of the democratic party for us to take this into account and to, uh, to, to focus more on policy, and that may be through the party, that may be through more democratic uh, primaries, but we definitely need to continue to look at these processes. Right, right. And it does, see,
1: it does seem like the order of our primaries gives a certain advantage to certain of course, kinds of candidates. Yes. Julian Castro, I think, was accurate, and I think Bloomberg echoed this as well by saying that starting out in Iowa and New Hampshire... You give, you give white voters uh, quite a lot of say. Mm-hmm. There, it takes a long time to get to a state where you actually have a large number of Latino voters. It's really Texas is the sure, first yeah, state where yeah. that comes up. And if you think of Latino, Latina and Latinos as becoming uh, actually the majority minority in parts of the country, mm-hmm. um, that's a pretty significant uh, oversight in yep. the system, right? So, so, Paul, are you for reforming the system in any way? If you could be the, the god of primaries, what would you change in the structure? Not in the candidates, but in the way they're set up. How would you change them?
0: You know, I don't know. I think I may change the order of these a little bit. You know, I think Iowa's essentially, you know, made itself, you know, uh, persona non grata. Yeah. You know, but uh, I would, I would, I have no flip answer on this. It's kind of like, like I said, I think whenever you change a process, you solve some problems you can create other problems. Yeah, it's a wisdom. S- so you'd have to kind of think about this. Yep. You know, and um, I think uh, what I'm looking forward to is really better candidates. Not that these candidates are terrible, but better candidates in the future, we keep talking about how a generation is gonna pass the baton. And if anything, they're gotten older this time. Absolutely. Okay, but we're, you know, me and that cohort is gonna die sometime, you know, so essentially there's gotta be better candidates. You know, it's it's always hard. And you look at people, like people are going, Nikki Haley is gonna be a great candidate in 2024. Well, maybe, you know, you look good on paper, you know, but sometimes looking good on paper doesn't actually actualize itself sure. in the real world. You know, uh, Sherrod Brown, I thought, was going to be by far the strongest candidate. You know, for me, if Brown was the candidate, I think the election is over, you know, just because he's a progressive who doesn't sound too liberal, you know, and he's been able to win in Ohio. Right. Very popular. He's charismatic. And he said he didn't want to run. Now, I think there's logistical reasons for that. Um, So who knows? It's kind of like if you don't run, you can't win, Mm -hmm. you know, and even if you do run, you know, some of this is luck.
1: Right. Some of it's the moment right there's certain moments i mean jimmy carter is is the candidate of post watergate right there's no doubt about it he doesn't win a primary he wouldn't win primaries in the early 70s or in the 80s but he chose the right time barack
0: obama was thinking maybe i shouldn't run in 2008 and tom daschle said this is your moment and quite frankly elizabeth warren's moment was probably 2015
1: right when bernie said you
0: should run right
1: that makes a lot of sense that makes a lot of sense Zachary, uh, let's close with you here. What, 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 what do you think we can do to get young people more interested in the system? Paul has laid out for us um, not just the virtues of the system, but the reasons why the system exists the way it does for choosing our candidates. And if we're going to get better candidates in the system, we do need to have more participation from young people. And so far, there's been more participation by young people, but they haven't really dominated these uh, primaries in the way they could have. That was Bernie's hope. What, how can we get young people more involved in this process? Well, I think uh,
2: what it really starts with is exactly what you're talking about, which is uh, getting better candidates in the race. We need a candidate that doesn't, like Bernie Sanders, only speak to a specific group of of young people or, or a specific group of disenfranchised voter. We need candidates who can speak to both groups. And I think that's what sort of going back and talking about some of these stories of of older candidates really tells us. And that is that we need candidates who are charismatic and who can speak to these issues and make young people feel like they matter. And I think as we need to encourage younger people, uh, not necessarily Peter Buttigieg, but people like Peter Buttigieg to run again. And to uh, to make sure that their voices are heard. So,
1: in your sense, Cory Booker, Peter Buttigieg, Julian Castro, Kamala Harris—they were just a little too early.
2: Yeah, I, I also think that we need to find a
1: better young person to carry, to to, to take that baton. Great, great. Well, we're all waiting for you, Zachary. <laughs> I think this has been a a fantastically interesting discussion of the ins and outs of primaries as history, as lived politics, and as possibility. I, I think Paul's point is really well taken, which is that this primary system, as messy as it is, it's designed as a kind of booyah base for us to see if there's a candidate who can rise to the top. And that has happened in many cases. Uh, Maybe to some extent it's happened with uh, Joe Biden this year on the Democratic side. Um, And uh, reforming that system is important, but also getting candidates in who can find a way to move through that system and bring people together. Uh, That's actually what American politics is all about, right? This goes back to Alexis de Tocqueville. It's a messy mix of different groups, different religions, different views. And it's the candidate who, as Paul said, can play addition can actually add the different groups together that seems to make the most sense. Uh, We will be able to watch this and learn from this as we go forward. Thank you for joining us uh, for this week of This Is Democracy.
2: This podcast is produced by the Liberal Arts Development Studio and the College of Liberal Arts at the University of Texas at Austin. The music in this episode was written and recorded by Harrison Lemke, and you can find his music at harrisonlemke.com. Subscribe and stay tuned for a new episode every Thursday featuring new perspectives on democracy.